Well, you and I are living in one of the most hyper-individualized societies in the history of the world. You and I are living in one of the most hyper-individualized societies in the history of the world. And in an individualistic culture, the emphasis is obviously on the individual. Individualist cultures tend to emphasize things like individual autonomy, the independence of the individual, the self-sufficiency of the individual, the uniqueness of the individual, the personal achievement of the individual, individual liberties and rights, the self-direction, the self-expression, the self-discovery of the individual. In contrast, community-oriented societies and cultures focus on the community more so than the individual. When people in community-oriented cultures um, might become, uh, when they face hardships, might are more likely to turn to family and friends for support in, in difficult times. And those, however, in individualistic cultures and societies are more likely to go at it alone. And individualistic cultures stress that people should be able to solve problems and accomplish goals and on their own without having to rely on assistance from others. And individuals are often expected to pull themselves up by their bootstraps when they encounter setbacks. You, you and I, as people living in this thing called life, have to make a decision on whether or not we are going to live our lives in a way that is more independent-oriented or more interdependent oriented. You and I are living our lives and we're making decisions every day and we're consciously organizing our lives, whether we know it or not, in a way that's either independent in nature or interdependent in nature. I love the way that Timothy Keller says it. He says, the Bible depicts the human world as a profoundly interrelated community. And so the godly must live in such a way that the community is strengthened. I love one theologian, Bruce Walk, he says about the nature of the individual and the community. He says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. See, you and I, um, whether you know it or not, and this is the thing about life. The thing about life is that you're born into a context, you're born into an environment, you're born into a culture, and immediately when you're born into that culture, you're going along with the current of that culture. And most of the time when you're in a current, you don't even recognize that you are in it. And everybody else seems to be going the same direction. Everybody else seems to be moving along. And then as you go through life, you recognize that there may be some things about that current there may be some things about that stream, about that river that aren't healthy, and, and the challenge is when you recognize that some things about the current and the river aren't healthy, you have to begin to swim in the opposite direction, which is incredibly challenging. The way of Jesus and following Jesus in our society, if you want to follow him the way that he's called us to follow him, means that in many ways, and specifically relationally, You'll be swimming against the culture, you could say the, the, the river, the stream 
of our uh, society. The title for today is this, if you're taking notes, Not Good to Be Alone. Somebody say, Not Good to Be Alone. Not Good to Be Alone. I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Anybody know the book of Genesis? It's the very beginning. We're going to I'm going to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis today. We're going to go to the very first couple chapters, and I'm going to show you and lay out for you the kind of design, you could say, that that God intended when he made humanity. And then we're going to use that as kind of our foundation and our framework uh, for the way that we think about what we're doing, the way that we're living in this thing called church. Somebody say church. This thing we call church. And then I'm going to give you a couple specific um, applications at the end. And my intention and my hope would be for you is that you make a decision that you're going to be a person that lives in such a way in Christian community that is interconnected and interdependent on the people who are around you. So join me in Genesis chapter 2. If you've got a copy of Scripture, if you've got a Bible today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, find it in uh, your Bible or your app. It's the very first book. It's the easiest one to find, Genesis 2. And we'll look at Genesis 2 beginning in verse 4, and I'm going to walk through a few verses. And, and we're going to just sit and kind of um, look at this creation story of the way that God made things. And then we're going to culminate in verse 18, which is going to be our key verse for um, our time. This is what the Scripture say in Genesis 2, beginning in verse 4. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, heavens means everything that's the sky, the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, the universe. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth at that time, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people yet there to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Let's just start here from the very beginning that the world that we are living in was created by God. You and I are not an accident. You're not just some kind of phantom molecule that happened to exist because of something that happened however millions or billions of years ago. Um, You were made and designed by God. And the very fabric of our universe The scriptures would say in the book of Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God, that there's something about when you step outside and you you look up, you just say, this can't be an accident. You and I, and the way, the world that we're living in, the the life that we are living in, um, none of us are an accident. Tell the person beside you, say, you're not an accident. (laughs) That may be the first time anyone's ever told you that. (laughs) But we see here this we see here this beautiful story, this, this beautiful unfolding of an intelligent design of, of, of a creator and of, of, of God. And then it says this in verse 7 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man. All right, now God is beginning to create humanity from the dust of the ground. And he breathed, into, breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. The breath, the ruach of God, the spirit. The word spirit literally means breath. And the breath comes into this human, this man, this, this first man, and he, his, his lungs fill with air and his heart begins to beat and he becomes a living person for the very first time. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. God gives him a home. 
God gives him a place to live. He, he places him in a garden, an incredibly beautiful garden, designed and formed by God for his flourishing. We see this in verse 9. And the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Jump to verse 15. It says this, And the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it, which means from the very beginning we were designed to be workers. We were designed to tend something, to take care of something, to, to cultivate something. That you and I, when we, we live and the things that we're doing with our time and our energy and our work, we're actually cultivating what God has given us. Verse 16 but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. He's a good giver. He gives him every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, up to this point in the creation story, if you were to go back to chapter 1 of Genesis and uh, chapter 2, and then you were to look at all the different things that God made and the creatures and the animals and the, the heavens and the stars and um, the, the plants and, 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 and everything that, after, after everything that God made, there's this kind of phrase that's repeated after, after, every, after every day, after every uh, section, and, and it says, and, the Lord, and everything that the Lord God made was good. Now, here is the first place we see in these first two chapters, the first time where God shows us that something is not good. Look at verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be, what's the word? Alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, there's different contexts. We could kind of go into the marriage direction if we wanted to, but we're not going to do that today. We're just going to stop with the reality that God looks at Adam in his singular state, in his alone state, and for the first time in creation, God says it's not good for him to be alone. Um, there, there's a docu-series. Um, there's an American survival docu-series on the History Channel. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's called Alone. Anybody seen Alone? Uh, it's, 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 10, it's 10 seasons um, that, have, that have happened now. I discovered the series back during COVID and became immediately fascinated. And you're wondering, did Pastor Ethan binge watch a TV series. I may or may have not. Um, the way that this competition works in this alone docu-series is 10 individuals are sent into a remote region of the world, places like Patagonia. I just thought it was a shirt. No, that's actually a place, this Patagonia. Um, nor Northeast Labrador. I just thought that was a dog. No, there, apparently there's a place called Labrador. Chico Lake, British Columbia, Mongolia, Saskatchewan, all these places. They're sent by themselves into these remote areas, completely alone and isolated from all other human beings and isolated from all the other contestants. And all they are allowed to bring with them are 10 items and a satellite phone in case they want to tap out. How many of you want to sign up for that? I'm personally like, sign me up. I'm, 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 I'm down. I, I would love, that sounds like amazing. And it's a competition, so I'm in it to win it. And it's a last man standing show. And the last person who remains, um, by the end of the, the last season, wins upwards of $1 million. The last person to tap out. They must survive on their own, which means acquiring food and water that's necessary for their survival. And some contestants literally only last a day. And then the longest 
ever contestant lasted 100 days. And the contestants are required to film themselves, uh, film themselves through, throughout the competition, which is the only footage that's used for the show. And what's fascinating is that even more than the food and the water and surviving the elements and the wild animals and the bears and all the other things, what seems to be the hardest struggle, as I've watched several episodes or several seasons of the show, what seems to be the hardest struggle is actually not the, the physical, which is people lose like 50, 100 pounds is crazy, uh, is not the mental, which the mental psychological aspect is incredibly challenging. What seems to be the most common challenge or the hardest struggle for most people on the show is relational. Being separated from family and friends for that long of a period of time becomes the hardest challenge for most of these contestants. The reason is, is because you and I were not made to be alone. We were not made to be alone. And and Adam was even in the garden. Adam is in this amazing state. He's in this perfect state. He's in the garden of Eden for crying out loud. By the way, that's what we're all trying to get back to. And Adam is in this garden. It's made by God. I mean, it's got, he's got food for days. He's got water. There's animals. There's sunlight. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's like being at sandals for your entire life. It's awesome. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's in this state, which, which seems to be a perfect state. And God says that it isn't good. It's not good for him to be alone. Now, Here's, I actually noticed this for the very first time in my life this past week as I was studying and preparing for today. Here's what's crazy. Adam was in relationship with God. Adam had a relationship with God. He's like walking with God in the cool of the day. He's with him in the garden. He's he's in a relationship with with God. And so vertically, um, you could make the case that Adam probably experienced the most meaningful relationship with God a human has ever experienced. And Adam is still in that kind of a quality in relationship with God, and God still says it's not good for him to be alone. God says, even though you know me, even though you experience me, even though you walk with me, and even though our relationship is great, there's still something missing. I didn't make you to be alone. There was still something missing, and though vertically he was strong, horizontally he was weak. See, humans are innately relational beings. God made us as social relational beings. So here's my first point. It's just real basic. You were not designed to do life alone, okay? You were not designed to do life alone. And you're like, well, I'm an introvert, Pastor Ethan. You were not designed, but Ethan, I'm gonna kind of pick myself up by my own bootstraps. You were not designed to do life alone. None of us were designed to do life alone. Alone. And what we even see in the gospel is that the gospel is the, the great reformation of the things that are broken in our lives. That, that Jesus has, has come to, to bring us back together, to create wholeness, to pr- produce wholeness in us, to, to, to make us into the state that we were supposed to be into. And, and, and Jesus came and he entered human history. He's the son of God. He entered human history. He, he walked the earth. He, he, he lived the earth. He would go to the cross 
His blood would be shed for you and me for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and in faith, all those who in faith trust Christ and give their life to Christ, they are forgiven, they're changed, they become sons and daughters. They're adopted into the family of God, into this thing that we call the church. And you could make the case that the church is God's design and God's intent, intent to recreate a kind of community that was lost in the very beginning. What I mean by that is that you and I, the way that we think about church has to shift. The way that we think about what's happening here has, has to shift. And that Jesus died on the cross, not only so that you and I could have right relationship with God vertically, but so that you and I could have right relationship horizontally. That, that there's something that the gospel does that helps us uh, be redeemed and restored back to the way that we should operate even horizontally, which means we've got to reframe our understanding of the way that we think about church. When we look at the, the early church, the, the very first church after Pentecost, this is what we see. This is like the, the capstone verse on church community in Acts 2 verse 42. It says this, and they, speaking of these early followers of Jesus, they devoted, somebody say devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word, teaching, sound doctrine, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship or the koinonia, the sharedness, the shared life, the commonality to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That The very first glimpse that we get after Jesus has gone to the cross, after Jesus has gone to the grave, after Jesus has resurrected, and then several days later when the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost and the early church explodes and the, the movement of Jesus would begin to shape the entire world, the very first thing that we see, the very first glimpse is we see these believers in devotedness to teaching, to uh, the word, but also into one another, into community into fellowship, to shared life, to common living, to breaking of bread, to eating together, to sitting at, at, at the table together, in homes, as it will say a few verses later, and the, the prayers that they're doing this thing together. We see this, this word devoted. There's, devoted is um, a big word. It's like, are you devoted to anything just by the way? That's a big word. I mean, devote, it kind of has this idea of obsessed, I mean, if you're, if you're devoted to something, you're kind of obsessed. You're kind of obligated. They, they have this sense of internal obligation and obsession to one another, to these, these things, to these various attributes. This, this isn't just something that they're kind of like uh, playing with or playing games with or like dating the church. No, this is something that they are in, enveloped in, that they're obsessed in, that they are integrated into. It, it's something that is strong and th that they believe that they should devote, be devoted themselves to. We must move away from the concept of church as an event and more to church as a community. Honestly, the you know, all of us have to shed some things about church and the way that we think about church and the way that even our culture thinks about church. And we've got to adopt a, a reframing, a, a right way, a biblical way of thinking about even what the church is. You, you, you know, even the great theologian, Brad Paisley, he, he would say it in this way in the famous song, She's Everything. He would say, she's a Saturday out on the town and a church girl on Sunday. She's a cross around her neck and a cuss word because it's Monday. The idea for many people in our culture and our society is that church is just kind of this Sunday thing. It's kind of this religious 
event that like if you you, you got to just make sure that you show up to in order to make sure that your life is right but then you can cuss on Monday and you can do whatever you want to do because Sunday is just kind of an event it's just kind of a, an establishment something that you can you, you can just go to if you want a little bit of a religious pick me up in your life we have to ask the question what is the church what is the church what what, what is this thing that we are are, are doing and is it actually in alignment with, with what Jesus would want us to do, or, or is it something that really our society has created for us? So here, let me, let me give you a few things about what the church is not and what, what the church is. Here's, here's the first one. The church is not a building, it's a body. The church is not a, a, a building, it's, it's a body, and um, buildings are, are fine, and facilities are fine, and some, some churches are nice, tall steeples and stained glass, and some are former grocery stores with terrible parking lots and, you know, no carpet. And re- regardless, regardless, the, the church isn't um, a building. Like, just for the record, like, Jesus didn't call us to build buildings for him, okay? Um, it's not like Jesus was on this campaign of like seeing how many steeples we can get erected. And I'm not like anti-steeple. Like if a church down the street gave me a building with a steeple, I'm like, sign me up. I'm there. Okay. Like I'm not like, I'm personally, I'm pro free anything, but like, um, if God puts me in a building with a church with a steeple, I'm down with steeples, I guess I'm, I'm there. I'm in, I'm in it to win it. You know, I'm, I'm not anti, I'm not, but, but we have to recognize is that Facilities are, are necessary. They're, they're, they're necessary. They're, they're, they're tools. Um, but, but that's not the end game, all right? It's, it's like some kind of uh, a facility. It, it's not about a building. It's, it's a body. We, we are a, a body, which it's a metaphor. We're, we're, this, we're this body. Uh, Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and verse 27. He would say, for just as the human body or the physical body is one and has many members or many parts, and all the parts or members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That you and I are, metaphorically, we're like body parts in Jesus' body. We're, we're, we're arms and legs and noses and ears and feet and toes. And you might be wondering which part you are. Afterwards, I can tell you. So come and talk to me and I'll tell you which part you are. Um, but the point isn't like which as The point is that you're a part. Look at your name. Tell the person beside you, you're a part of this. You're a part of this. Which, by the way, isn't it? Isn't it great to be a part of something, you know? Isn't it wonderful in life to be a part of something? By the way, the world is looking to be a part of something. The world is looking to find connection. The world is looking somewhere to find purpose and meaning and hope and mission. And people need to, we need to be people when people come in here and say, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this. Not because we're perfect or not because we got it all figured out, but because we're a community of love. We're, we're the Jesus community. And you can be a part of this. See, the church isn't a building, it's a body. Here, 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 here's also what the church is not and what the church is. The church is not a club, it's a community. It's, it, it's not a club. And when we say, we practice church membership here at the bridge, um, not in some kind of like club membership. And I've tried to get rid of the word membership to do so, like, you know, church partners and church, you know, there's just no good words, okay? There's just like, 
And the scriptures say we're members one of another. So we do church membership. And if you're not down with that, I'm sorry. Um, but we're members one another of this thing called the body of Christ. And uh, we kind of need to know who's, who's a part of the body and, and who isn't and how, how to meaningfully commit to one another and be accountable to one another and to be under authority together. And, and, and so we got to recognize that, um, yes, we, we're, we're members and we have a membership and we have this fidelity and this support and this accountability of one another. We're not a club, though, okay? This, this isn't a club. This is a, this is a community, I love the way Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says this, the church is meant to be a place where authentic relationships can be lived out in community. And God's intention for us, God's intention is for us to live the part, not just look the part. And it can can still happen in a contemporary church, by the way. You know, we might have shed the tie. We might have shed, a, shed the three-piece suit. We might have shed the dresses and, and, and the tall hats or whatever. But there's still a tendency for you and I to kind of want to look the part rather than live the part. That, that you and I, we, we enter into community together in an authentic way, able to be ourselves and be who God made us to be and being in a community that allows us to be ourselves but helps us to become what God wants us to become. And in a club, there's kind of like rules, right? It's kind of like um, you got to have a collared shirt, you know, and you got you to have this and you got to make sure that you're wearing the, this is a community. This is an authentic community that's, that's about Jesus. This isn't a club. And, and here's also what the church is not and what the church is. The church is not an event. It's a family. It's a family. It's not an event that you show up to, you know, and get your little spiritual pick-me-up. And hey, if you're here and this is like your first time and you're like, your life is awful and you need a spiritual pick-me-up, come and get your spiritual pick-me-up, okay? You're, you're totally welcome to be here. But we're not going to let you stay there, okay? You're going to come and you're going to be known. You're going to show up on a regular basis and you're going to see people and you're going to have to be vulnerable and you're going to have to take risks and you're going to have to be authentic and you're going to have to get to know people and you're going to have to stick around afterwards sometimes. And you're going to have to have a conversation and you're going to have to try out this thing that we do called community groups. You're going to have to show up with other people and you're going to have to get into a circle. See, rows are kind of easy because no one asks you hard questions except for me in a row. But when you get in a circle, circles is where people see you. Circles is where people look in. Circles that you can't hide in a, in a circle. You, you show up in a community, you show up in a group and people begin to know you, people begin to, to see you. And I love the way that Paul would say it in Ephesians 2.19 about being a family and not an event. He would say, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, thank God, we're, we're no, no longer foreigners or outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and he, he uses that word members again, members of the household of God. That's, this, is, this is the household of God. This, he's using family language, okay? He's using, this isn't a concert, this isn't a show, this isn't a production, this is not an event, uh, this is primarily a, a family. This is a household, and when you, when you trust Christ, when you, when you follow Jesus, and you, you enter into the church, you're, whether you like it or not, you're becoming a part of a family. You're entering into family, and, 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 and you're not showing up just to an event, but you're coming to a place where you can be known and loved. And community is much more than coming together for events in which we 
exchange data and share social activities or give one another temporary emotional support. Community is life together. It's opening your life to others. It's conducting even the regular daily activities of life with other believers. It means preparing meals together, eating meals together, and cleaning up afterwards together. It means doing basic tasks, the household tasks of home maintenance and helping each other where there is need. It means walking and talking and exchanging counsel. It means spontaneous as well as structured time together. It means, it means play. It means opening your life to um, other people. And here's, here's what we understand and here's what we recognize is that if you're going to experience all that God wants you to experience, it's going to require more than just Sunday mornings. And I, and I know, like, I actually want to, like, celebrate you and encourage you where churches literally across our country is in decline. I don't know if you knew that or not. But so even, even being present on a Sunday morning, I don't like, want to high-five you in and out. But, but I have to be honest with you and say that this thing is more than Sunday morning, Okay. This thing is more than Sunday morning. And if you're really going to experience all that God wants you to experience in your life, it's, it's actually going to require you to, to, open, up your, to open up your life, um, to open up your life to, to others and, to, uh, and to, ex- to be vulnerable and to be authentic and to let other people speak into your life. Um, and so let me, um, let's, this thing got really sentimental, didn't it? I mean, we just got like really sentimental right here. This is wonderful. The mood is wonderful. Um, let me encourage you with this. You've got to resist the temptation to, to go at it alone. And you got to make a decision today if, if you haven't already. And if, even if you had, you got to recommit yourself and remake the decision that I'm actually going to commit myself to community. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's at times going to be messy. It's going to be challenging, but it's actually going to be the thing that you need that's actually going to help you get through this thing that we called life. And so here's, here's what I want you to do. I want to, I want to, I want to move you as an individual. I, I want to, I want to move you through what God wants you to become. I'm not going to let you just kind of stay comfortable and when I'm going to be, call me a pushy pastor. I'm going to be pushing you into a growing into the things that you need to meaningfully grow and to follow. So I've shared this recently over the past few weeks. I want to share it again. There's this thing that we call as a staff team, we call, we call the ministry flywheel. And basically it's this, this idea that if we're going to be a church that's really going to be healthy, that we're going to move the way that God wants us to move, it's, it's going to require that, that you and I take the necessary steps into our spiritual formation. And wherever you are on, on, on your step and on, on your journey, I'm just, there's no judgment. We're grateful for where you are. But we're going to, we're going to encourage you and lead you that you're here at worship gatherings, but but we would say, if that's all that you do, you're not going to experience what God wants you to experience. You, you got to move into community. You got to show up to a group. You got to get into meaningful community together. And, and then you got to even move into giving and serving, giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And then you got you to move into formation and, and growth and making sure that you're growing. And then, and then even mission and going and living on, on mission. So, so can, can I encourage you today that um, 
I want you to, uh, to belong. I want you to, to be in community. I want you to see your life as an interdependent necessity to be around other people of like-minded faith that can help you and serve you and help you become what you want to become. And I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, a, a quote from uh, one of my favorite pastors, a pastor named John Mark Comer. He, he, he says this. He says, stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships and quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt, and we will hurt in return. It's a part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing, and the risk is worth it. The risk is worth it. So let me just encourage you, church, uh, be committed. Let's find some people. A way that we do this primarily at the bridge, it's, it's community groups. We're actually going to be starting community groups for the fall season here in just a couple weeks. Um, but have a mindset, have a mentality. I'm, go, I'm going to find a, a community. Maybe that's a community group for you. And I'm going I'm to get in and I'm going I'm to lock in and I'm going to show up and I'm going to live a life that's, that's open and uh, a life that's risky and a life that's vulnerable, but, but a life that's going to bring meaning and and growth and development for um, my life. Let's pray. Father, today, we, we just ask that you would help us to fight the, the societal pull of independence, that we would fight the cultural current of going at this alone. And Father, we recognize today that it is not good that we would be alone, but that we need one another. We need a community. We need... Um, we need the body of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as, as a church and as a family that, um, that, that we, would, we would see the church as more than an event, but a church that it's a family that we would connect to and that we would belong to. And so, Lord, uh, grant us this, uh, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.